is an old spot bloody witchcraft podcast in it chris and today we're talking about one of those things we're never supposed to discuss or talk about at all do you know what that thing may be chris tiger penises no i know we're not supposed to talk about tiger penises but i'm pretty sure that rule was only for the fasty witches show which everyone can go and watch on youtube there was a whole series of tiger penises, and I'm pretty sure we were allowed to talk about them. We just weren't allowed to import them. Remember that lovely Chinese lady that used to uh, go on the Feisty Witches show and comment every week about tiger penises? I am heard from her for a while, and it was Maybe funny she enough, died with a, little time, a little time after she promised that she'd send one. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to do that, so maybe she's in some Chinese jail somewhere. But oh well, today's episode <laughs> is in honour of the poor Chinese lady that is probably rotten in some Chinese jail because she tried to send us a tiger penis. Which is not relevant to this episode of the No Holes Bar Witchcraft podcast, but oh well. So yes, Chris, do you know what we're going to be talking about today? It's a taboo subject. You should because you've been in trouble for it before. <laughs> Only for using that word we're not supposed to say. Yes, that word beginning with a G that we're not allowed to say. Okay. Chris will tell you all about the scandal that he single handedly managed to cause. Um, but we'll talk about that on the Patreon because we don't need any more fallout from. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> we don't need any more fallout from that. So anyway, today we are going to be talking about, to a certain extent, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was a Disney film in it. And we're going to be talking about a couple of things, a couple of things that kind of come up. Because as you know, whenever we talk about like films and pop culture and TV magic, there's a lot of people that don't know what we're talking about are also are not interested in talking about what witches think about television shows and, you know, films and such. What we do with these little episodes we put in every now and then is we take it themes from works of fiction and pop culture and we just talk about the things they make yeah. us think about. We don't really talk about... Sorry, I'm having loads of text messages coming from Chris at the same time as we're supposed to be recording. I don't know what's going on about that. But anyway, um, Chris, if you've got something to say, just say it. Don't text me. Are you there? No, I think those are the three. I sent you three options earlier. Of but what we've already, we've already started. We can't change the episode now. And we're already four minutes in. <laughs> You've clear you clearly got another idea, so right, okay. So first thing that this a little uh and Notre Dame makes me think about, which isn't really magical, or is it? Um, is uh you've got the idea of this gypsy lady that's running away with a child and there's a bad a religious figure that's chasing after her, right? That's kind of the opening beginning and yeah, the story the song all that kind of thing i watched this this documentary series it was on it was on youtube and it was called the pink triangles and it was fascinating i'm just gonna leave it as that and i'm not gonna explain it in any way shape or form other than to talk about the theme of running away and persecution by the church persecution by people in general in powerful positions and such because there's a theme with Hunchback of Notre Dame where you've got the Hunchback, which is a, a baby, essentially, at the time. And the, is it Claude, Claude Glaber or something like that? Can't remember what his name is. He wants to kill the baby. And then the, the priest basically intervenes and says, no, don't kill the baby because God's watching. And it makes me think of a lot of the persecutions and naughty things that some religious majorities tend to do 
they're the same people I've noticed that talk about love of God and that God loves everyone and that, but they're also the sort of people that go and uh, pick at people's funerals and stuff and tell everyone that they're evil and going to hell and, you know, beats people up and stuff, interfere with other people's lives in a negative way, right? It's got me thinking about modern day persecutions and such because these witchcraft trials are very much over really in places like the uk we don't get so much of that anymore but in many other places in the world that's not the case is it there's still a lot of magical people witches in particular they get persecuted and prosecuted and sometimes even killed why do you think that is is this politics chris mostly just politics is the short answer to that is it's mostly politics um and i suppose from a religious point of view because let's face it those are the ones that are most obsessed with the idea of morality mm. yes there's good and there's bad and if you don't believe what i believe you're bad <laughs> yes, <laughs> that that <laughs> pretty much okay now it's that something is that I've always persecution. I've I've always wondered because all these bit, these witches and people in league with the devils and such, they're apparently supposed to have all sorts of uber supernatural powers and such. But if they were, why is it that they seem to be completely unable to defend themselves against the persecutions and such? Because a lot of the people that get rounded up certainly in the back in the day witch trials as well as nowadays modern witch trials seem to be people that are unable to defend themselves it all seems like a lot of scapegoating which also leads me back to that pink triangles documentary but scapegoats and witches and witchcraft do you think that a lot of genuine real life witches and magical practitioners back in the day got persecuted and killed off and thrown in jail on, on that and do you think that that's the same today or not i think any witch or magical practitioner worth their salt um should be able to avoid something like that and i don't even necessarily mean in magical means just knowing right. knowing the popo is on its way um is enough to avoid to a certain extent do you get a um, feeling in your waters when the popo's on their way i do because ah. it is an interesting one because there's a good point with that so i use the term scapegoating and stuff like that because of course a lot of these old ancient witchcraft laws and stuff were often used to they were basically just used as weapons weren't they to remove people enemies and such whether it's the creepy old spinster that someone wants to absorb the land and money from or whether it's a political rival or something like that um or maybe even his parents or something that you dislike and you're going to accuse of a witchcraft and that i would imagine that if you want to understand the politics and such from back in the day european witch trials and stuff you need to look no further perhaps than africa nowadays because there's still lots of persecutions of the same old kind of thing people being pulled out and accused of witchcraft very often a lot of the time it's women and um thrown into jail and stuff like that so you know in terms of magical folk real life magical folk one thing that strikes me is that much of what modern neo-pagans seem to think of is genuine history and is accurate it seems to be absolute bollocks so a lot of the ideas of some of the people that talk about oh you know it was all the feminists and stuff like that they, they tried to close down yes that was the case that was a small part of the case oh it was all old ladies that people didn't like oh yeah to a certain extent older ladies i mean how old did you have to be to be old back then probably in your 30s <laughs> but also really? the ideas of some of the big magical practitioners and such the john d's and that you know it's uh uber super practitioners which mm, 
they're famous, infamous, and have survived the test of time with regards to people still remembering their names and such. But in terms of power, ability, I would have to personally question that. Also, one of the most interesting things I find is when you look at books like Cursed Britain, which are academic texts, which look back at witchcraft trials and such, and they talk about black magic and that, a lot of the time, what people are talking about and the evidence that they give for persecutions and stuff are things like cunning folk and pillars and that. And they're kind of the good guys. You know, they're not really doing a lot of evil magic. So it's kind of like defeats the point. It's like the only people that seemed to get caught were the people that are actually fulfilling some kind of useful role in society. Oh, I know. Who can we get? We need, I know there's witches about. Well, I've heard that there's some dodgy stuff going on with old Farmer John's pigs. There's also a midwife in town. Well, blame the midwife. <laughs> call the midwife, Chris, is a shell. But call the midwife, get her over her, and then we'll dunk her. And we'll see what she has to say. Don't worry, Chris, it will be extremely fair. Because if she floats, she is a witch. But if she drowns, she was not a witch. Should be the other way around, really. I think, to be honest with you, it, it would make sense to me personally because I think they would consider all of this in league with the devil and that to be a lot of kind of paganism. Paganism, and as we all know, with pagans, a lot of pagans are water shy, from what I can tell. So it would make sense <laughs> that they would be unused to to water and particularly bathing and such, and would probably be the ones that drowned. So it. From my perspective, I would say if they can swim, they're not a witch. But if they drain, they are a witch because they ain't used to get in the fucking bath. <laughs> but I'm told I'm very rude and should not talk about our neo-pagan friends in that manner. It's naughty. It's very naughty. But is there a point to it? Is there a patchouli-scented point <laughs> in there somewhere? <laughs> That's awful, Liam. I know. I am you awful. Be, I'm evil. You should be so disappointed I'm, in yourself. On my credentials, on my witch CV, you see, on the three points that you need, essentially, you need one of these three points in order to call yourself a witch, in my personal opinion. You need to do a Maleficent, Baneful and Evil magic, because let's be fair, originally that's what witchcraft was and meant, you know? Check, I check that. I definitely uh, do a bit of a baneful, nasty shit to people. Or you need to be essentially a professional witch or professional magician, service magician, magical practitioner that's outside of the kind of accepted way of doing things. So the status quo, whether it be the church, the government, whatever is sanctioned. And, you know, being a magical practitioner and herbalist that likes to experiment on people i think i tick that box as well because i also charge them monies the third box the one box i don't tick is the religious aspect because i'm not an initiated wiccan or anything like that and as we know that they're allowed to call themselves witches because it's a official religion you know associated with witchcraft so i don't tick that box but i don't think two out of three is all that bad chris particularly when most people nowadays seem to just cover one out of three. And that would be the third one, because they've bought one of those Scott Cunningham books. Do you want to say something scandalous now, or are you just going to leave it all to me? <laughs> no, you're doing ever so well. Thank you. I would say I try, but I don't. It just slips out. That's what always gets me into trouble. It's slipping out. It definitely would. You've got laws against that nowadays, Liam. There are laws against that. There used to be just the laws about it slipping out. Now there's laws about things slipping out in terms of speech and such, because we no longer have freedom of speech. If we ever did, I'm not entirely sure whether we ever did, but I'm pretty sure we haven't got it nowadays. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, my thoughts just to throw this out here, the whole point of this part of the uh, No Holds Barred, when I we planned it, or should I say, I suggested it, um, was supposed to bring out the magical things that were going on in said story. Um, 
So does that mean you're going to find some time to mention some gargoyles and shit? Or are we just going to go off on one about gypsy magic? I does like me a punky and a gargoyle. So we'll start with that. And then what we'll do is because there is some gypsy magic that I would like to talk about. We'll leave that and talk about that on the Patreon because our American friends might not be aware of this because I think over in America, gypsy is considered to be a bad, bad word, bad term. Here in the UK, there is an official gypsy council, um, you know, and it is one of those things that I think because this is, to a certain extent, international podcast, international following, international nowadays on the internet, a lot of people get... um their knickers in a twist i suppose you could say about certain words and phrases and stuff so we will be talking about gypsy and traveler magic from a united kingdom uk perspective and from two professional witches perspectives in terms of what we have learned from it what we have had dealings with it in the past and a very interesting talk i got uh, I was lucky enough to go to that was given by a proper <laughs> official, what most people would consider to be gypsy witch, magical practitioner of a traveller community tribe. So, yeah, let's talk about gargles and punkies, because punkies are, I think, a West Country thing. I'm pretty sure it's a West Country thing. I don't think a there's... West Country I will have to Google that. It's a West Country thing. Right. So have you had much dealings we, with gargoyles? Punky I punks. love a good gargoyle. Punky punks. Yeah. Right. Some people would say punky. I'd say punky. Hunky punk, I think, is the official thing. Yeah, I don't I don't think we have punkies above Gloucester, I'm afraid. No one's That's definitely punk. a southern thing. Grotesques, grotesqueries. They are essentially gargoyles. I don't exactly know what the difference between a hunky punk and a gargoyle is, but I will endeavour to do some googling whilst you chat now and find okay. it out. I like gargoyles. I like them in the both the mundane and the magical sense. <coughs> Um, the mundane sense, because they were done by kind of masons all over the place, they often would represent people they disliked, because normally the foreman on building a church was normally a dick. Um, so they'd normally find some way to represent him, um, or, you know, not necessarily just the foreman. It might be the guy that's actually paid for it, but generally speaking... Um, there's a dick that the, mace, the Masons don't like and therefore they uh, like to represent him or her in a very special way um, forever um, by kind of um, crafting normally a quite hilarious way um, and quite amusing way in order to make fun of them without them realising they're making fun of them. Because obviously there's already a tradition of using gargoyles, so it's just like, oh, that's yeah. just a gargoyle. Um, any any similarities must be something you've seen, nothing, nothing intentional. Um, so, yeah, so I like that kind of mundane historical part of it. Um, and it doesn't just um, it doesn't just appear in masonry, to be fair. It does it does appear in all sorts of craftsmanship. Um, where they take the piss of patrons, um, but the um, um, yeah, gar gargoyles in a magical sense. I like the concept of um, kind of representational magic on a a next level. Um, in this kind of, in order to create protective guardians of mm. a some. Uh, something to actually cast them in stone um, is um, quite an, you know, a niche practice, shall we say, nowadays. Um, whereas back in the day, it was kind of all the rage of building um, 
full scale you know even if we were to go to the ancient sphinxes carved all over um mesopotamia and uh, the egyptians etc you get similar kind of things with chimera and um the kind of greek sphinx um and then you cut you know it's all over the you know um because of that all over the middle east and actually all over the far east with the kind of chinese lions or the i can never pronounce it the the kerichen or something like that they're called us um which is kind of their chimera if that makes sense yeah that's right beast because before there was hobbycraft and air drying clay, there was this thing called stonemasonry, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so on Wikipedia, I didn't know this, I'm learning stuff. So the grotesqueries, um, the difference between a hunky punk and a gargoyle is that a gargoyle is actually a water drain off from the roof. So it essentially, the water from the roof drains out through the gargoyle's mouth. So although they're decorative and such, they would drain out. So it should essentially be part of the drainage system for the roof. A hunky punk isn't. A hunky punk is never essentially a drain. So that's the main difference between oh, a pair of okay. gargoyle and a hunky punk is that they say hunky punks are purely decorative. Now, I don't know whether we would necessarily 100% agree with that for the simple reason that having met a number of gargoyles and having visited a number of churches, I believe that they offer a little bit more than just pure decoration. I personally would say they are the quintessential egregore. In fact, you can't get much more egregore-like stereotypically than a gargoyle or a hunky punk or something like that. Not to say that all mm. of them necessarily are, but if you were to make a protective spirit for your little castle, if you're starting up a religion or something like that, or uh, anything like that, then um, a gargoyle pretty much makes sense, doesn't it, as a guardian? Interesting point that I we did have a little discussion uh, about this at the Tuesday night move. When they were restoring and doing work on Notre Dame in France, mm -hmm. obviously there was that massive fire and such problems there caused a lot of damage and devastation the fire started after they'd removed all of the magical protections so all of these statues and gargoyles and stuff that had been removed they were doing some works there they'd been removed and then all of a sudden the fucker catches fire which a lot of people thought was very interesting in terms of coincidence and such but very often in my experience as a west country cunning man surface magician whatever you'd say there are a lot of magical practitioner uh, sorry a lot of magical protections i've seen put in place both on buildings particularly farm buildings which may seem obvious as magical may not necessarily seem obvious as magical but that do have a little bit of a kick that do retain a little bit of energy but that once are removed whether the people that own or run the house or barn or property or whatever in general whether they believe it or not they're soon asking for a little bit of help because crazy as strange stuff happens there was one quite infamous um story i think it made it in the news but i'm not entirely sure i'll see if i can dig out the article at some point but it was about this is a little building it was like a little workshop the old farm building and it had a crucifix in the corner and uh someone it had been put there and it was kind of you know it's been there for a long long time i don't think anyone knows how long it'd been there but it was removed and then since it was removed there was catastrophe and misfortune and all sorts of stuff and all sorts of problems and i think it was uh, psychic or someone like that someone went in was called in and they said you need to put that back they put it back in the same place they found it, up on the wall, and then everything was fine again, which is very interesting how some of these things work. Because when you do have permanent, or I would consider them to be permanent, obviously, 
a lot of them don't last forever, but permanent fixtures, protective barriers and stuff, magical ones, they're often put there for a reason. And the reason why they're put there more often than not is to prevent something from happening. So a lot of the ideas of protecting yourself and putting magical protection up around your home or your land and that kind of thing, a lot of modern day practitioners think of it in terms of, oh, well, I just use that to protect just in case something happens. When in reality, a lot of this is actually kind of like manipulating water flow. So if you ever went to the beach and you had those streams of water that run down through the beach and into the ocean and all the kids like build little dams and pools and stuff like that, try to redirect the water. A lot of that is this from what I've seen. <coughs> a lot of people will attempt to, if there's some kind of energy or stagnation or something like that, a bottleneck, or energy flowing through their land or through their building or gets retained there that they don't like, then these little kind of blockades or redirections, these magically charged objects, sometimes egregores are created to fix that, redirect the energy. And when you remove those, that energy either pulls. I made one, I think I did it on a case file on the Thoth Witchcraft Patreon, but it was one where it was essentially, it was a bottleneck situation. So it was someone that had an apartment, literally ground floor apartment, right on a marina. And it was, there was like, like a slight bend. And there was all sorts of crazy ass weird magical stuff, paranormal things manifesting in their apartment. And I looked at it and it was kind of obvious that, well, with the bend in the water and the underground water as well, this flowing, it was like a, uh, not a bottleneck, but a coroner. It felt like a lot of energy that was all, would, would normally be flowing was being redirected or the water and that the marina is being redirected. So it was kind of like when you have uh, by the seaside or anything like that where or in ponds and stuff where it's got a certain amount of free flowing water and you see like all the junk and the sludge and the like people's crisp packets and plastic rubbish and that gets collected you see these kind of areas where things like that pull energy is a lot like that free flow of energy energy blockages that kind of thing some of these uh, magically charged objects and such that have been put in place are very often just there to clean that to stop that or to make it bounce off or to redirect kind of like if you did some work on the motorway and then you wanted to put some traffic cones out to redirect the traffic how many traffic cones can you remove before the cars start to think, oh, well, that's just another lane. The cars just start to drive in there, you know? It's one of those things, isn't it? But there we go. So, yeah, egregores in terms of gargoyles or anything like that. Have you ever made a gargoyle, Chris? No, I've tampered with existing ones, but I've not, I've not created core ones. I designed a bunch, um, but I don't know any stonemasons. Oh, or at least I didn't know... I didn't know any stonemasons because I I wanted to make or you know a true gargoyle. It wasn't good enough to be clay or something like that. Yeah. Um. So I had a series of plans for um some guardian dogs. Um, Was that back in the teenage days where you were with all the witchcraft schools and such? Yes. In witchcraft schools, did you design the for in gargoyles or something for them? Well, part part of it was in order to protect the spaces that they were designed in. Um, obviously, also that's where the kind of tampering, the the practicing of tampering was involved, because you know I wanted to take over churches. Um, yeah. So if they had protective gargoyles, I wanted to be able to manipulate them. Oh, so a repurposing the job. That's interesting. Repurposing of existing gargoyles. I mean, recycling is very much the thing to do nowadays, as it has been for a very long time. Realistically, I can think of a lot of pagan sites that have been repurposed and recycled over the thousands of years. <laughs> exactly. So would you be able to share any of your gargoyle designs in terms of how you came up with the you know, design? Was it just an artistic design or was you starting with purpose and using symbology of its powers and such? Because with a lot of 
egregore creation and stuff when they create like a physical representation they think oh well i need it to be able to see therefore i'll give it like 10 eyes or something like that how did you go about designing them no from that point of view mine were quite simple what i was obsessed with the concept of was animation so it wasn't enough that they um were representational or had a spiritual body i wanted them to be able to get up and kill if needed to um so obviously you know the problem with this three-dimensional world is it's not quite as flexible um Mm. when it comes to moving matter um in that kind of shape-shifting way but there was um yeah so my my experiments didn't go as far as i'd like um because i didn't i didn't have my hands on a couple of stonemasons um but now obviously i've joined the cult maybe i can find some stonemasons we have all the other kinds of craftspeople so maybe we can find them you could design some gargoyles for the school you teach at well like maybe it could block there's off some, <laughs> there's some freaky enough um stained glass windows and things to play with already stained glass is one of those things that i think is highly underrated i can't say i've ever seen or heard anyone talk about weaving magic in terms of defense into stained glass i think that's just because of the nature of it being glass people think fragile whereas people think something like stone and rock and that all that's solid therefore that's protective but at the end of the day from filtration perspective in defensive mechanisms stained glass can be a really good thing because people will stare at it people will be interested by it and it's right in front of them and yet people just do not twig and do not see it for what it actually is yeah um, you know me yeah, i like uh, hiding in plain sight yeah when we went to the jamaica inn you were commenting on the stained glass they had there mm. i'm like sure our lady nick wouldn't have noticed it she'd be too busy playing incubus succubus with the massive fireplace <laughs> lady snake to do to do to do lady snake to do to do to do yes so what other magical themes are there in hunchback of notre dame i don't know if there are any i can't think well obviously um it has kind of travelers in a sense of circus as well doesn't it and it also plays with the idea of kind of magical blessing in that kind of christian virgin mary way um and then also i'm quite interested by the concept of bell ringing uh while we're staying in the kind of churchy realms um grow up liam um how I'm many bells can you of... ring at once a fair few um but yeah i i wonder about how because about like making bells was such a kind of skillful craft and mm. a very specific one like you know there was something like three or four bell ringers like bell um bell making companies in the world left now when then it must have been this like huge craft at some point Mm. um but you know there were kind of really big processes in that kind of molding of metal in that way and um there is kind of that almost i don't know kind of silversmithy kind of way of the protection of the family do you know that kind of um we create these specifically like the same with the gargoyles kind of like you would i imagine there were were sculptors that were known for their skillful creation of these um to kind of push the kind of gargoyles in a different way liam for me what i find interesting when i've played with gargoyles is they're not always that i find it's very rare for all of them to be active there's mm. normally one or two, um, you know, or a handful of them. Is that just the ones that are supposed to stop you, though? <laughs> Do they just activate because they've sensed you? 
Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Because <laughs> we know you've had some run-ins with churches in the past, and I don't mean past lives, I mean this life, but years ago. I don't like little churches, what can I say? They don't like you, though, either, do they? The feeling's definitely no, mutual. It's definitely a mutual feeling. <laughs> but a lot of those weren't gargoyles. I've never had issue with gargoyles. Um, I've normally had <laughs> normally had problems with the stone of the building itself, uh, um, trying to correct things. Um, my favourite story of that, which I imagine this is the one you're thinking of, is the little one in Rome, um, which is actually made up of pieces from local church, like local um, Roman sites. So uh, actually, it's more likely to have something to do with the original bargains, yeah. not the church that's standing there. But the, um, yes, um, particularly the kind of Greek Orthodox ones are the ones I tend to have the most problem with. Um, don't never have any problems with the the Catholics or the kind of may you know the main ones in the UK mm. um when you're abroad and kind of Greek orthodoxy is a lot more widespread across Europe um and those are the churches I tend to have trouble with so mm. your Achilles Hill and Kryptonite is basically the orthodox <laughs> no it's not an Achilles Hill is anyone it's a mild annoyance at best you bind um superman in kryptonite or something like that what you needed to do is build build him a little house or a mausoleum or a chamber of some description from some of these churches and he won't be able when he's in he won't be able to get back out he'll just be there on the floor rolling around screaming is that what it'd be like because it does, gives you headaches doesn't it it gives me fucking horrible horrific headaches um but no it wouldn't be i think kryptonite is a bit of a stretch okay it's just an annoyance is it yeah a vague annoyance okay problematic right well we won't give our enemies firepower <laughs> we'll change the subject because we should be on the patreon by now therefore we got to talk about what this podcast is really supposed to be all about, the stuff that we cannot say publicly because we'll get lynched again. <laughs> so do you want to share your little story about why you're a racist, Chris, apparently, and why we've got a scathing review which still not has, has not been taken down to this day? And then we can talk about gypsies, isn't it? Because it wasn't the gypsies that came after you, was it? No. It was the no. Americans. Bloody woke Americans who completely woke misunderstand America. the process. Anyway, they are a nuisance. I made a comment about my favourite subject, tarot cards, oh. um, where they were making these comments about, oh, you must, um, you, you know, you mustn't buy your own deck of tarot cards or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to educate here. I made the mistake of thinking, oh, Instagram, I can educate here. That's safe. Um, apparently not. Where I basically turned around and said, well, actually, if you want to be accurate, the, um, the, the problem is not that you shouldn't buy your first deck. It's the fact that technically the custom is, and specifically it's a gypsy custom, um is that the first deck should either be should never be purchased it should either be given to you as a gift or stolen oh. um and obviously <coughs> that is a big part of the concept has nothing to do really um with making any kind of slur about gypsies being thieves obviously that was the way it was taken but that is that is the traditional con uh, the, the original custom it was you shouldn't but you know crossing the palm of silver is part of this whole um mythology around uh gypsy fortune tellers mm. and therefore you should only gain money from your skills as a tarot reader it should never cost you anything 
So all of that kind of mythology around it means that the custom is you should never buy tarot cards. They should be given to you as a gift or you should steal them. Um, so because you shouldn't buy them, that's what it comes down to. Um, but anyway, me using the word gypsy was obviously the prob the word they had a problem with. Um, bearing in mind, both myself and I'm pretty sure you as well, Liam, have worked with many, many um, people that would claim and call themselves gypsy and not have an issue with the word gypsy. Right. Um, but obviously, it's a word that's not um, acceptable in the US, particularly for its, um, you know, Nazi leanings, which is the idea of this... Um, Well, this was the other part that was tricky about it. There are some gypsies that actually are where the slang term gypsy comes from, which is exiles of Egypt. Um, Egypt, gypsy. Obviously, it's not true for all types of gypsies, depending on what bloodlines you're from. But the idea was uh, the concept of gypsy is always traveller or... Um, nomadic peoples um and obviously there you go obviously what they don't like is the popularization of the word gypsy was a slur that the nazis liked and other kind of anti-semitic groups around world war ii and you know obviously all americans are, ex are experts of world war one and two even though it's not taught in their curriculum um but you know um they're experts in in a war that they only came in for five minutes at the end you know um so but that could start a whole different kind of uh raw war with the americans but never mind um so yeah they had real issue with with my my use of the word gypsy because it's not a word that apparently um travelers and groups uh nomadic groups in the u.s like to be called however um in my understanding and the and the people that i have met in this country uh traveling in nomadic groups love the word gypsy and it's actually had a bit of a renaissance over the last 30 years um because it sounds more exotic um and you'll have entire councils of uh these groups meeting together that prefer the word gypsy because there are words that we use that aren't as as helpful like the word pikey for example which means irish traveler um that are not um not deemed kind of kosher for you to say um and not very pc anyway i don't like the word i don't i, I don't like the word traveler um because i feel traveler particularly here normally means irish irish gypsy it means mm -hmm nomadic irish gypsy groups so traveler for me means a specific kind of gypsy that sounds really strange but you know as particular group of gypsy oh, um yeah. so i wouldn't feel comfortable calling all gypsies travelers because they're not um anyway rant over um Ultimately, it's really difficult because what you're doing or the equivalent really is saying something like black person, right? Because I hear people talk about black people or African people. And when you think about it, and when you look at it, it's like, um, is that useful enough a term? Because when you're talking about, you know, back in the day when white people or the powers that be and such would just look at someone and say, well, their skin colour is a certain tone, therefore they're all the same. Realistically, when you look at it, Africa's a very fucking big place and there's lots of different tribes and such. It's probably more, more different tribes and such than there are in a lot of the other places in the world right so saying that about what people would consider to be roma or traveler or gypsy or anything like that what your understanding of that is is that you've got people that live some kind of nomadic lifestyle where they're around so normally i think the closest term that you could really use 
without knowing what tribe that person belongs to is to call them a nomad right that would probably be the stereotypically off the top of my head the only thing that i can think of as being you know relevant. Well, ultimately the the reason i don't particularly like that word the same way i don't like traveler is nomad still for me refers to certain specific groups oh it does also, yeah also not all not all gypsies travel anymore yeah um there are a lot more kind of um gypsy settlements now that actually the referral to gypsy means kind of exile doesn't mm. mean nomad kind of means exile um because that's how a lot of gypsy cultures made their way to the uk so mm. i don't know like i i find it problematic but then the you know the us um and then particularly the woke people of the us are very particular about let's not talk about the actual issue let's argue about semantics about the words that we use in order to talk about it um i would rather have the conversation however uncomfortable the conversation may make people but that's that's what we were talking about at the very beginning that free speech thing um where you know i don't need you to agree with me i just need to hear what your opinion is um because i'm interested um but um anyway gypsy magic is a tricky one <coughs> again um because that is such a huge topic um and also not entirely sure we're the right people to talk about it um but the there are particular folk traditions that we are uh you know more commonly aware of um what's interesting is in a lot of um groups that i've met um it's a matrilineal um priesthood if that if for lack of a better word um and the 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 wise women of of those those tribes are normally the most powerful in terms of both political sway um compared to whoever is the official leader of a group if that makes sense they don't lead the group but they they have the next best biggest say if that makes sense in my experience because there's two there's experiences that i've had so in terms of tribe tribal wise i've had dealings with irish travelers irish traveling community and also yeah. okay so even within just taking roma because that's what a lot of people would stereotypically think roma romani um i was uh, lucky enough to meet um shandani natalia who is like a big basically what i suppose you would consider what the neo-pagans would probably class as like a high priestess style you know, yeah. thing. like she's a very high up in a tribal community of roma people again i'm bastardizing this and i'm putting this in i'm trying to put this in stereotypical neo-pagan form but she's obviously quite highly regarded she holds an office holds uh uh titles that kind of thing um within that community and she has a job to fulfill for that community you know yeah. there are some things that she holding that position is entitled to because she holds a position in that tribe but there are things that she is essentially has final word over and then there's other things for example that would be considered more of you know someone with another title so you've got ideas within gypsy traveler communities and that kind of thing there's a fish there's an official gypsy king isn't there in the uk that kind of thing so if you want to know a little bit about if you're in the uk about gypsies roma travelers that kind of thing you can go to gypsy-traveler.org which is friends family and travelers that's a charity that's actually set up by various different people from tribes in order to help with you know rights and that kind of thing but there's quite a lot of interesting information particularly in regards to certain tribes and people in backgrounds and stuff like that now there was at one point an official uk gypsy i think it was called the gypsy traveler uh council something like that basically that was set up by the uk government because there was such a problem with 
Roma, Britain, um, other travellers and Irish travellers burning down Roma wagons and stuff yeah. like that. Basically, it's basically the white people looking at various other people and saying, well, they all fucking hate each other and this is getting to a big problem. I think they're all the same. You know, I think they're all the same. This is not me talking. This is British government back in the day. They must be all the same. They're all fucking travellers. What have they got to be upset about? Let's sit them down and get them to vote on this and talk about this, you know, which they kind of did to a certain extent. And that would, that's a part of, you know, uh, the history. Um, but what was really interesting was obviously it is extremely fucking secretive. And I mean extremely fucking secretive. They think no fucking Masons, Pagans, degree level stuff. This is to get in at the very bottom of the ladder, the very bottom rung. You need the, the right lineage. They need to know your family going back several fucking generations, right? And it was very interesting talking to Shandani about, you know, who because that is what she essentially does. She fulfills the spiritual, magical, medicinal, that kind of thing, or for her tribe, you know. And she, you know, talked a little bit about, during a talk, I, what was it called? It was called Traditional Beliefs and Magic of the Roma, a talk by Shandani. So she did this for a bunch of magical practitioners. So this wasn't necessarily 100% members of the public. It was magical practitioners, but it wasn't Roma. She's Roma. Um, it was very interesting talking to her and listening to her talk about their beliefs, the structure of the tribe, um, and her people and that kind of thing was fascinating. Um, and as well as how they teach or how they, you know, go about uh, bringing up magically, you know, raising children and stuff, because there's very, very, very fucking harsh rules, right? So it's not a case of, oh, you're a magical practitioner, you want to learn some magic. That's fine. Anti-Shandani uh, or teacher. It wasn't like that. It was very much of a case of, well, you need the complete, you need the appropriate lineage for a start. You also need the appropriate amount of magical knowledge um, or basically innate, innate magical ability. You also would need to be female, you know, and there would be very, very, very super strict um, things before she'd even necessarily teach you and there are certain things even then she's only allowed to pass down to certain people that prove themselves worthy that's why a lot of these tribes are still fucking going though isn't it because they don't pull their secrets down in a fucking book that then gets cobbled yeah. together watered down millions of times and then published by shit companies like Llewellyn publications um, but there we go so that's something quite interesting gypsies in terms of working so I'm going to have to put my hands up, okay? Most of my experience with gypsy traveller families, communities and such has been from the perspective of they're the enemy. So being that I live and work in the West Country and that there are some wonderful people that belong to the gypsy Roma traveller communities and such, but also some fucking assholes, right? I've often been brought in because I can think of one specific uh, case that I worked on with gypsy magic practitioners, uh, tribe people working against locals. Okay, and locals haven't got no one who have they got. Well, there ain't a lot of local cunning folk nowadays. Back in the day, they'd get the local cunning man, wise woman, peller, whatever to go sort out the magic. You know, they'd have some kind of defense. Nowadays, not so much. So some of the work that I've done in the past has been undoing gypsy curses, magic and such. Some of the work me and you, Chris, have done has been also the gypsy curses, famous gypsy curses and such, which every now and then, most of the time, let's be fair, most people that think they've been cursed by a gypsy, they haven't. But every now and then, it does happen, right? And those curses are very effective, you know, because of the nature, remember, of the knowledge being passed down in quite a pure, um, strict way. So if this person who is some kind of mag magical practitioner, they would have learned it legitimately from another magical practitioner, and they would have been the only one potentially in a generation 
to have mastered this thing or to have been given this thing. So in terms of potency for these various stereotypical gypsy magic and stuff, there is some great potency and a lot of really cool and very interesting magical traditions and magical people and things within some of these communities. However, there's more that aren't. There's more people that just found out, oh, I'm descended from someone that's a traveler. I know, that means I can go and uh, start up an Etsy store. Over here is a, kind of the closest thing I think we have to what Native Americans have to deal with, I suppose, over in the US yeah. with various people pretending to be Native American. Or not it's our closest, I imagine. Yeah, it's kind of similar. That's probably the closest I can think of that we would realistically have over here is all this old ancient European gypsy magic, like this buy my gypsy spell book, blah de blah de blah, or buy this, buy that, you know, capitalism. Um, but there is some serious craft, which reminds me very closely with traditional witchcraft you know which is very different but there's similarity because it's, it's magical things that have been passed down whether that be in through relatives or whether that be through people that have been able to basically i say pick out they've been forced together with another younger magical practitioner that shows some promise generally speaking that's what i tend to see more nowadays is that you've got a great magical practitioner they've done some way amazing things magically capable of producing all sorts of crazy ass amazing magic some people go to them for their counsel some people go to them to learn but every now and then one or two people in a generation truly have what it takes they're something special and that magical practitioner kind of takes them under their wing to a certain extent passes the baton on to them you see that a lot within traditional witchcraft you see that a lot within the you know gypsy traveler roma communities from what i've seen but yes in terms of some of the most fun magic, some of the most, I mean, I've got a sick sense of humor, but some of the clients that have come to me completely distraught with all sorts of crazy ass nasty shit going on in their lives, trace it back, it's come from a, you know, gypsy traveler, or, or, and I love it. You know, I'm always happy to take those cases on for the simple reason they ain't just some fucking idiot occultist that's casting spells. There's some slightly higher level stuff that goes on because a lot of these people, and from what I've seen with some of the magical practitioners I have met and observed, because I've observed some, I've observed Shandani do healing works and stuff like that, which when you're at our level, of course, you don't need to be taught. All you need to do is watch both with the mundane eyes and the magic eyes, and you can reverse engineer every level that they're working on which is how i've obviously adapted practices to learn more and more about that kind of thing more and more about that type of roma magic and stuff it hasn't been because someone spilled their secrets it's because i've observed and undone various things but it's very fascinating very interesting not something that we could necessarily teach in terms of come out with a gypsy magic course but in terms no. of learning from obviously you learn from what you have experienced and what you do you became a master of the things that you do so you know because i've had a couple of instances of undoing gypsy magics and dealing with gypsy culture under my belt i feel not qualified to speak on their behalf but i can share <laughs> information that you won't find in a book right one of the biggest in fact the biggest uh, the one that I considered to be possibly the most difficult was uh, you talked about, Chris, that some of the travellers and communities and stuff are starting to settle down. But there's a lot of these kind of caravan parks, static caravans and such that are being put up, you know, all that kind of thing. There's one that was very close to a farm out on the outskirts of Bristol. And what was happening is that once a year, this farm, they looked after horses. It was a livery, a stable yard, right? And the gypsy people would, for some reason, sneak in to the stable yard with knives and slit the bellies of the horses open. So all these horses that are worth a lot of money and are people's pets and, you know, people, you know, blah, 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 love their pets and love their horses and that they turn up essentially in the morning and their horses were dead with their guts spewed out all over the floor. What was going on with that? 
I'm not entirely sure. I don't have the cultural background to fully understand that. All I know is that old Mr. Baker says, Here, Liam, they fucking done it again. I know they fucking done it again. I've seen on my CCTV those fuckers. They've come in here. They've stolen one of our wagon, their um, pull-along things. And they've killed the horses. Can't do nothing. Police can't do nothing. We know it's them. We've watched them run from literally, unfortunately, the, this particular stable yard and farm is less than five minutes away from a gypsy traveller park. So it's literally like they're on the opposite side of the road, further down. This is out in the outskirts, you know, just outside Bristol. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's not too difficult to see where they've gone, given that Mr. Baker has cameras on the front of the entrance, has cameras on the road and sees them going in. And there's cameras, obviously, in on the gypsy park. Obviously, in terms of police situations, how many people are living on that park? Quite a few fucking people. They were never able to get down to it. But either way, I had to do some magic, didn't I? So there we go. What magic did I use? Well, I'm afraid we're out of time. So I can't talk about that now because we got to go, Chris. Is there anything else before we go you'd like to say or that we've missed out? I don't, I don't think so, really. I just think kind of pushing that. One thing I would like to do if I had more time in this lifetime i imagine um to actually study it in the sense of from an observation point of view um because i would imagine that if you were to look at individual tribes uh, Mm. you would be able to track where they have come from yeah based on the practices that they have yeah um like and i don't mean them literally i mean their practices Mm -hmm. um I think if we observe them for longer, different groups for long enough um, in their magical practices, you'd be able to track back where uh, historically their magical practice is from. Um, Which obviously made me laugh when you were talking about the uh, Gypsy Council, because bearing in mind, you'd need half a dozen fucking translators. Yeah. you're trying to say these are these people are the same and they don't even speak the same languages so you're like these people aren't the same um that is racism to the highest level um like you know um trying to get them to communicate in you know one of the biggest problems is they don't speak the same language um (laughs) one of the interesting ones actually when i was when when we were talking to shandani at the pub she uh she was talking about obviously Roma because she's Roma um and the little pockets and various you know where her tribe's been and the various different kind of things that have been added to their I suppose mythos folklore culture that kind of thing in terms of spirits and stuff that they work with and she was saying well there's us there's us that are Roma and then there's the Christian Roma it's like oh there's Roma that have converted to Christianity she's like yeah it's like and we don't like them or a lot of the i don't think she said we don't like them but she said a lot of the roma that aren't christian they don't like them i was like so how christian are they then she said well they incorporated jesus it's like right so they have the various different spirits and that and then they've also got jesus that they chuck out every now and then well yeah basically so it's like when people think about roma christian roma people think about like they've, they've suddenly become catholic or they suddenly become church of yeah. England. no all they've done is at some Included point in the pantheon <laughs> they picked up this guy called jesus because that's essentially what seems <laughs> happen is whenever they meet a spirit or work with a spirit as a part of a land that is essentially useful to them to the tribe they they essentially pick it up and carry it and some of the things get kind of over time because you are talking about a long time over time just gets lost and some things kind of get picked up and grow it's very interesting to see where various different parts and tribes and that have been in terms of the what I suppose you'd just describe as the flavors of the spirits yeah. and stuff like that, even if they're working with the same energy force, you know, the spirit that they're using to interact with that is all really rather fascinating. But there we go. That's it for this episode. Chris, we'll talk about some top secret gypsy counter curses and spells and such at a later date. Maybe we'll release some. I don't know. 
I will just leave you with that. The city awakes to the bells of Notre Dame. The fisherman fishes, the baker man bakes to the bells of Notre Dame. To the big bells as loud as the thunder, to the little bells soft as a song. And some say the soul of the city is the toll of the bells. The bells of Notre Dame. Our tale was begun on the docks near Notre Dame. Four frightened gypsies lived silently under the docks near Notre Dame. But a trap had been laid for the gypsies, and they gazed up in fear and alarm. And the figure was cautious or iron as much as the You have the 